Are they doing this ethically or are they going underhanded to try to manipulate? Because I see a distinct difference between influence and manipulation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me, as always, is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. As always, we've got some great stories to share, and later in the show, we've got Joe Gray. He's from the Advanced Persistent Security blog and podcast. He's going to share some of his experiences with social engineering. But before we get to all that, a quick word from our sponsors at Know Before. So, who's got the advantage in cybersecurity? The attacker or the defender? Intelligent people differ on this, but the conventional wisdom is that the advantage goes to the attacker. But why is this? Stay with us and we'll have some insights from our sponsor, Know Before, that puts it all into perspective. All right, Joe, we are back. Before we jump into our stories this week, uh, we've got a little bit of follow-up. We've got a gentleman named Chris who sent us some feedback on Twitter. You know, recently we were talking about real estate fraud. Right, that and was in uh, last week's episode. I th- yeah, I believe so. And, and you mentioned to be wary of companies asking for money over a wire, a wire transfer. Correct. I did. That you had not had experienced that before. I've never I, seen it before in my life. I agreed. Well, Chris uh, wrote in and he said, when I bought my house in Virginia, my closing company did ask for a wire. I called them up rather than replying to the email and asked them to validate the wire account number. On their part, they did send the information at the beginning of the process and said that it would not change later. It seems that they chose to do wires due to fraudulent certified cashier's checks. (laughs) So Chris says it's a double-edged sword of both people and businesses looking to stop fraud. That's right. So there you go, right? I guess the solution here is maybe an escrow company. Big stacks of cash, Joe. Just come in with a briefcase full of cash. Handcuffed to your wrist. (laughs) Yeah, They would love that. Can you imagine the flurry of activity that would cause? So. No, we could do it with an escrow company, I guess. Yep. So, you know, like 10 days before closing, you get the cashier's check, deposit it into the escrow account. That gives the, the check time to clear. But that involves yet another party that can be impersonated. Well, I guess as long process. as you're doing your, your due diligence, like it seems Chris did here. Right. No, I think what Chris following did is exactly up by, right. by phone and just double checking before you just go off and wire that money. Correct. And um, I like what the settlement company said that here is our account number. This will not change during the process. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, Chris, thanks for uh, sending in the feedback. We always like uh, hearing from folks on Twitter. You can also check out uh, over on the website, thecyberwire.com. You can reach out to us there. So let's get to our stories this week. Joe, what do you have? I got a story from Sean Nichols over at the Register. There's a law firm in Illinois called Mata and Mata. Okay. I think that's how it's pronounced. All right. M-O-T-T-A. They are suing a rival firm called Dulcie and Wayland. Okay. And I think I'm saying that right, but All right. it's D-O-L-C-I and, and Wayland. I'm pretty sure I got that right. Yeah. And Mata and Mata is alleging that Dulcie and Wayland was impersonating them online in an attempt to steal clients. Mata and Mata says that Dulcie and Wayland had set up a website and a phone line designed to redirect Mata and Mata criminal and family law clients to the Dulcie firm. I'm just going to call them Dulcie and Mata from okay. now on. Okay. Right. So Mata is the people making the allegations. Dulcie is the people. Uh, okay. So Mata alleges that Dulcie built a site that looked very similar to Mata's site and then did some search engine optimization 
to get the fake page to show up in search results before Mata's site. The actual Mata's site. The actual Mata's site. Okay. And of course, the plan was to get people in the Chicago area who are looking for an attorney, go to Dulcie instead of Mata. So I'm out there looking for an attorney. Right. This Mata and Mata comes up as a possibility, but the the people at the other law firm have set up a fake site that looks like right, looks Mata's like site. Right. Wow. <laughs> so not only did they copy the look and feel of this website, but they actually went so far as to just totally copy articles that Mata's attorneys had written in law journals for years. Just scraping the contents of that site. Yeah, and plagiarizing the journal entries that these people have made available online. And then funneling the people who land there via the SEO right. to their own site. Exactly. So you're a guy that is going through something and you need you need a family lawyer. Right. Right. Maybe sure. you're doing some estate planning. So you go to good old Google, mm-hmm. which is where everybody goes first. Right. right. And you type in family estate planning lawyer. So the first thing that comes up is a site that looks like Mata and Mata. Mm-hmm. But you click on the link and everything is looks like Mata and Mata. But when you call the numbers, you'll get in touch with somebody at the Dulcie firm, Dulcie and Wayland. <laughs> so everything looks like Mata except the actual contact forms take you to their competitor. Sure. And here's one more thing. <laughs> in the event... That somebody had actually gone through and done the effort to look up Mata's phone number somewhere. Right. Mata claims that Dulcie had compromised somebody on the inside of their law firm. Of course they did. And that they were <laughs> redirecting phone calls to Dulcie and Wayland from inside the Mata and Mata organization. Wow. The calls coming from inside the house. Right. <laughs> wow. This is a pretty advanced technical attack. Now, the question is... There's a huge social engineering portion here because, (laughs) number one, they've compromised somebody on the inside. Uh, Right, right. And number two, they've taken all this technology and made it so that when people look at it, they think they're looking at one thing, but they're looking at another. Mm -hmm. Mata and Mata alleges that they have lost $2 million over the past two years to this practice. I wonder how it first came to their attention. That's an excellent question. The, The article doesn't discuss that. Right. That must have been an interesting staff meeting when they, at Mata and Mata. When, when they somebody, noticed something was wrong when they stopped getting as many incoming calls. Yeah. Their lead generation dropped off somehow. So I think that was probably the trigger that said, why are we not getting any calls? And then they went out and looked into it, would be my guess. They're suing to get control of the, of the fake website, and they want a trial for damages. Mm. Well, and to the customers of the other website that was up to no good, I suppose, allegedly, of course. Sure. Is that who you want representing you? I guess right. for some people it is. That's just the kind of clever, out-of-the-box thinking that... <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that I want. This is how these guys get business? <laughs> You're hired. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Mm. All right. Of course, there's no shortage of lawyer jokes. Right. No. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. Right, right. So, so a friend of mine who is a lawyer says everybody uh, hates lawyers until you actually need one. Right. And then, 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 then we're them. your best friends. Right. 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 All right. Wow. That's uh, that's an interesting one. Hard to imagine the moxie to the, <laughs> the brazenness. Right. Well, this is all still alleged to, right now. Yeah. But let's say they did this, right? Right. And, that, and again, that staff meeting. All right, gentlemen, here's my new marketing plan. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Right. Like, I love it. Capital idea. Let's go. It, off. <laughs> it does. Is, I don't think it was a marketing plan. I think it was, you know, one of these guys sitting in a room with his nephew, who's a techie guy and says, hey, can you do this? And the, and the guy yeah. goes, yeah, I can do this. It's real easy. Yeah. Go ahead and do it. Yeah. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. I don't know that lawyers have the expertise to do this. I think they know somebody. I think they probably have help. Because <laughs> lawyers, you know, they just 
the thing about lawyers is there's a lot of work involved in being a lawyer. Yeah. Right. So a good one. Yeah, a good one. <laughs> so they don't right. really have time to develop the technical expertise to do this. So I guess. they had help. All right. Well, my story, this is one about trust. Okay. So we talk all the time about a big part of social engineering is establishing trust, mm-hmm. false trust. And there's someone in the world who a lot of people trust, the Pope. Uh-huh. And I would say, you know, for, for good reason, right? This right. is a, People love this pope. He seems like a, a cheerful, cheery guy with a positive attitude. And there's a lot to like about the current pope. And so there's been some people out there who have wound up some botnets to impersonate the pope. And evidently the pope's real Twitter handle is at PontiffEx. So what these folks have done, they have a duplicate handle that is at underscore Puntif EX. <laughs> so <laughs> close enough, I suppose. Right, with a U? No, P O O N. Oh, two O's. Puntif, okay. Puntif EX. Okay. So, and what do you suppose the Pope is, is going to give away here, Joe? If there's one thing that, that you think Pope Francis would be into. Oh, tons of gold. Gold? That's a good guess. Yeah, that's that would a good, be, he certainly. You always see the pictures of all the yeah. of all the wealth that the Catholic Church has. There and, is no shortage of gold, gold at the Vatican. Right. That is right. But no, this is a modern pope, Joe. He's giving away Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yes, he is giving away. He has entered the new century, and just to make people happy, how silly of me to not guess that first. He is giving away. Bitcoin. The pontiff is giving away Bitcoin. And it's even more sophisticated than that. They've got some other dummy accounts that have responded to this fake pope's offer to give away Bitcoin. Wait, can I guess what they say? Go ahead. Hey, your holiness, thanks for the Bitcoin. (laughs) You know, not even that eloquent. They respond and they say, so cool, just sent and immediately got back. You're super fast. Wow, other people are doing it. So, this must be great. Right. So it's it's actually working to get your Bitcoin from the Pope. Has anybody looked at the blockchain address, you know, the address of this Bitcoin wallet and see if anybody's sending Bitcoin to it? The article does not say. This is actually an article from CCN. Does not say what the follow-up is. But, you know, I think it, it, this speaks to, I mean, as silly as it is, they do it because it works. Right. And here is someone that people have great reverence for. Yep. And so we laugh about it, but to some people, this could make absolutely perfect sense. Uh, Yeah, I guess. A big part of his mission in the church is helping the poor. Right. Right. He's got the resources. I don't know that he has the resources personally. I think his... He has access. He could go to one of those, we buy your gold stores and (laughs) pull up with a wheelbarrow (laughs) from the basement of the Vatican, right? Nobody would even miss it. Right. Well, I mean, people would miss it because all those things have historical importance, right? Where are poor people going to get money to buy Bitcoin or the means to buy Bitcoin first? Mm. So I don't know. I guess, yeah, I can see people falling for this, but at the same point in time, I mean, it's the Pope giving away Bitcoin. Uh, no, <laughs> this this isn't real. Right. The Pope is not giving away Bitcoin. No, the Pope. And, and of course, obviously, the Pope is not giving away Bitcoin. But uh, somebody saw uh, that it was worth it to spin up this scam right. and spin up bots to respond to it. I'll bet he got at least a couple of Bitcoin out of it. It works. It works. I would like to know how much he got. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, those are our stories this week. It's time for our catch of the day. All right, Joe, we've got a special catch of the day this week. I have actually gone to the trouble of printing out 
this week's catch of the day because I didn't want you to be able to see the last part of it. That's I right. want it to be a surprise to you so that people can hear it as you experience it. This is a Facebook scam. I've got a post-it note over top of the last line. Right. So, you know, you get friend requests on Facebook mm-hmm. and sometimes you get a friend request from someone who's impersonating another person. Correct. Right. So a friend of mine whose name is uh, Jamie, this was sent to him on Facebook Messenger from someone that he thought he knew. Right. right. So a friend, someone he has agreed to be friends with on Facebook. So, And this looks like that someone. It, they have the person's picture. Right. That we're just going to call this person Anne. Anne. All okay. right. Just use the, the first name. And I will play the part of Anne the scammer. Okay. And you can play the part of the person, my friend, who, uh, who got this message. Jamie. All right. Here we go. Okay. Hello. How are you doing? Beautiful as always. And you? I'm doing good and happy with my life now. Have you heard or been told about the good news yet? Dot, 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 question mark. Have you heard about the program made by Health and Human Service, HHS, for helping people, especially hearing, deaf, disabled, young, old, poor, and retire workers? No. Dot, dot, dot. They are united power to ensure success and focus for the people in the community. So you haven't gotten yours or heard about this yet? I have no idea what you speak of. The promotion was made by the United States of America government and Health and Human Service, and I get $150,000 from them. Did you get yours from them? Ah, this is a scam. I get it. I'm very serious about this and not pulling your legs. I really got this money, and it is real and legit. I wonder why you haven't gotten yours yet. And now I'm going to remove the post-it note to read the last reply. The real Anne knows English grammar and can spell. Also, she's a judge now you're impersonating. (laughs) So this goes well beyond straight-up wire fraud you're trying to commit. I'm guessing this will get you consecutive life sentences. Dot, dot, dot. And at that point, the scammer blocked the conversation. (laughs) Unbeknownst to the scammer was imitating a sitting judge. Right. Yeah, not... (laughs) Not, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We talk about scammers doing their homework to do a successful impersonation of someone yeah. in a spear phishing campaign or whatever. No, this person did not do that. I like a, I'm not pulling your legs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like uh, the promotion was made by the United States of America government. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Instead of just U.S. government. Yeah, yeah. I like the name of whatever organization she calls it within Health and Human Services. It says, they are united power to ensure success and focus for the people in the community. Right. <laughs> is that a name of an organization or you, is that more broken I, English? Because I don't know. That's the worst organization name ever. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't yeah. even have a clever acronym. No. All right. So that's our catch of the day for this week. Uh, look out for these Facebook uh, scams. They're, they're out there. People trying to impersonate your friends. Right. All right, so coming up next, we've got my interview with Joe Gray. He's from Advanced Persistent Security. He's going to share some of his experiences with social engineering. But before we get to that, a quick word from our sponsors at Know Before. Now let's return to our sponsor's question about the attacker's advantage. Why do the experts think this is so? It's not like a military operation where the defender is thought to have most of the advantages. In cyberspace, the attacker can just keep trying and probing at low risk and low cost, and the attacker only has to be successful once. And as No Before points out, email filters designed to keep malicious spam out have a 10.5% failure rate. 
That sounds pretty good. Who wouldn't want to bat nearly 900? But this isn't baseball. If your technical defenses fail in one out of ten tries, you're out of luck and out of business. The last line of defense is your human firewall. Test that firewall with NoBefore's free phishing test, which you can order up at nobefore.com slash fishtest. That's K-N-O-W-B-E, the number four, dot com slash fishtest. And we are back. Joe, recently I spoke with another Joe, Joe Gray. He's from the Advanced Persistent Security blog and podcast. Interesting. He was also the inaugural winner of the DerbyCon Social Engineering Capture the Flag. Ah. And he was awarded a DerbyCon Black Badge. Mm -hmm. So here's my conversation with Joe Gray. As a teenager, I loved prank calling. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to spell vishing uh, out very easily. For those of listeners who aren't aware, vishing is voice phishing, meaning it's just like a phishing email, but it's going to come via your phone. It's basically a glorified prank call. Hmm. You basically get into a character and you call your target. You'll have things to find in advance. If you're doing this ethically, at least, if you're doing it out of a malicious motive, then you'll probably still have your objectives, but you won't have it scoped and it won't be customer approved like it would be if you were doing it in terms of a business sense. So you basically call them, you stick to the script, you'll build a pretext, which basically is a ruse that's your character. One that I commonly like to use is I'm operating on behalf of someone. Usually I try to find out who their head of information security is, who their CIO is. I've dealt with some quasi government and basically to stay as vague as possible, said I was operating under the authority of the leader of that organization or city or state or what have you, Mm -hmm. just to stay vague. And that took into account that specific phrase, I am operating under the authority of person. That is using one of the six principles of persuasion that Dr. Uh, Robert Cialdini defined in his book, Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. Well, let's explore that a little bit. You were self-aware that you had the gift of the gab, but how does that differ from persuasion of actually being able to influence people to to, to channel them in the directions you want them to go? It really just depends on how you structure it. For example, if I'm hanging out with a few of my friends and I want to eat at, say, Taco Bell, and I know that they're bigger fans of Burger King, just throwing out answers, I might say something to either discredit Burger King Or I might say something to amplify Taco Bell, such as a promotion, or I might say something about the sensory uh, that one deals with when they're around a really tasty taco, how it smells, how it may sound, to get in their mind and really say, you know what, I want one of these. We see that concept very frequently in used car salespeople and big box retailers. Anytime that uh, commission is involved, uh, you see those six principles used very heavily and sometimes not necessarily ethically, specifically taking a look at the car salesman. Yeah. And then out of car salesmen, you typically hear things like, A lot of men your age prefer the handling of this model of Volkswagen as opposed to this. Or a lot of men your age uh, really like this two-seater BMW Z4 Roadster. Okay, that's implementing social proof. When we think about this a little bit further, I would say that most people are hard-pressed to find a salesperson that didn't at least attempt to be likable. A lot of salespeople truthfully aren't, but they at least attempt to be likable, especially if they think you're going to buy something. Right. So same thing with the used car salesman. They're going to play to whatever they can try to read out of you. 
And then from there, there's your likability. Then also within that, uh, if you've purchased a car from the person or that dealership before, they may try commitment and consistency, saying that uh, we consistently do right by our customers. Uh, We've never steered you wrong with your car purchases, something to that effect. And then reciprocity. Hey, you know, if you'll pay an extra $200 for this car, I'll take you out to dinner or something like that. Reciprocity. And that basically covers the six principles of persuasion. Now, when you're out and about, like you said, buying a car or buying a new computer or really any of those interactions, I mean, do you find yourself just quietly sort of keeping tally in your mind of of as people are either deliberately or inadvertently using these techniques to try to persuade you? I totally judge them. I totally do. I look at it from the perspective of, are they doing this ethically? Are they just trying to hit the high notes and do what they're supposed to do? Or are they going underhanded to try to manipulate? Because I I see a a distinct difference between influence and manipulation. Hmm. Manipulation being a little bit more on the malicious side, influence being more of the idea of, I'm going to give you this information and have you form the opinion of your own cognition, where manipulation Uh, That's going to be more of I'm going to give you covert type things to push you to go this direction. It's a very small, nuanced difference between the two. But in terms of manipulation, that it is to the influence world what black hat hacking is to the rest of InfoSec as opposed to white hat. Hmm. So I, I totally judge them in terms of how do they do it? Do they present me the marketing points, the high points? Do they try to pre brief me on something like, man, Can you imagine how those heated seats are going to feel when it gets cold outside? Right. If it's cold outside, that's really going to work. If it's hot outside, it's probably not. And I wouldn't fault them for saying that whenever it's hot. I would fault them for saying something like a guy just came in and he went to the bank to get financing. If you can get it before him, it's yours. Because let's be real, who goes to a car dealership and then leaves to go to the bank to get financing anymore? You either show up with it or you get it at the dealership in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me, like you said, it's it's that subtle difference between trying to put something in its best light versus, uh, I guess, deception. You can put lipstick on a pig and I can see it for what it is or fall for it or whatever and not be too uh, upset about it. If you try to sell me a pig wearing lipstick as, say, a bulldog uh, for the price of a bulldog, I'm going to have some problems. Right, right. So, you know, with the experience you have, the the deep knowledge you have on the topic, I mean, what is your advice to people out and about day to day to protect themselves from this? How can they have their guard up without, you know, becoming too paranoid, without going too far? Be cognizant of what people are asking for. So uh, recently I was at a social engineer Rhode Island, which is now known as Layer 8 Conference. It's a conference solely dedicated to social engineering. And uh, the night before the conference and the night of the conference, all the speakers and uh, some of the attendees went out and about in downtown Newport for the speaker's dinner and and the networking reception. So obviously, when you get a group of 30 some odd social engineers, basically the speakers and about another 100 social engineers or social engineering enthusiasts in the same area, obviously, some people are going to try to do things to beat their chests, so to speak. <laughs> it's just like when you get a bunch of hackers together and a capture the flag, somebody's going to try to beat their chest. We were basically kind of running our own capture the flag types of things. And we, we just set up a simple flag like what was a mother's maiden name? And it, obviously, mother's maiden name is a password reset question, just as what is your high school mascot? What is the street you grew up on? What was your first pet's name? Those are all reset questions. So basically, we would come up with something like that. And then we would direct whoever it is trying to capture this flag into a group of people or a person to find out. So when it came my turn, I was uh, walking about right next to a pier and there was a couple there and they were trying to take a picture with a sailboat in the background. 
So I was like, hey, would you like me to take your picture? Oh, would you? Absolutely. You know what? I'll tell you what. Here's my phone. You can hang on to it so you know I won't run away with your phone. I did that just to build rapport with him. I took their picture, and then there's this other majestic boat that just comes in right behind them. I was like, hey, hold on. I'll get your picture with this boat in the background. They're like, oh, that would be awesome. So I take a few more pictures. And then once I was done, I handed them their phone so that they could review them. And they're like, oh, man, that's so awesome. Thank you very much. I was like, hey, you're welcome. Um, Just out of curiosity, do you have a moment to help me out with my anthropology survey that I'm doing as part of my summer classes? They were like, sure. What what is it? I was like, well, it's a single question. Uh, I'm doing a survey about people's uh, migration patterns and and how different ethnic groups intermingle with other ethnic groups. So I'm getting information about names and where they travel and patterns and the such. And I've got a ridiculous amount of information about the paternal side of the family. What was your mom's name before she was married? Notice I didn't say what's your mother's maiden name because that sets off alarms. I said, what was your mother's name before she was married? And they both told me. And then they told me where they were from. I was like, oh, I have some friends that were that, that was there. I just happened to be familiar with the area very vaguely. So I mentioned a city. I was like, yeah, they went to that school. They're like, oh, well, that was like my, my rival high school. I was like, that's right. What, what was the mascot? So they told me the mascot and I could have kept on going to get back to your original question about how do you defend yourself? Be cognizant of what people are asking, even if they're not truly asking. It may be something to build a rapport. I'm not saying go off and be rude to people because that does no one any good, but just be cautious about it. Like from the perspective of emails, if you get an email that just seems too good to be true or it's unsolicited, it's out of context, it's not at the right timing, misspelled words or something, forward it to your information security team or actually reach out to your information security team and say, hey, I've got this email. I'm not sure if it's a fish or legitimate. I would appreciate it if someone could take a look at it. Where do I need to send it? And have them tell you exactly where to send it, whether it be to phishing at your company's domain or anywhere else. I recommend setting up a phishing email account so everyone can just forward there and it'd be safe. That way you don't have to worry about uh, non-security people reading the fish or potentially clicking anything. It's It would be a selected group of people. From the perspective of phone calls, I would say if you get a, an unsolicited phone call or something that just doesn't sound right, my best recommendation would be, hey, I'm sorry, uh, my boss just walked in. I've got to talk to him or her for about five to 10 minutes. Uh, this is very important. Uh, could I call you back? Hmm. And if they immediately say no, or give you an excuse as to why you need to stay on the phone with them, or give you a number that is different than the one they're calling you from, you've pretty much thwarted an attack. Right. So common sense, logic in terms of, should I be receiving this? Should I be responding to this? Is this out of scope for me? Is this person who's a, who they say they are? For example, with uh, gender ambiguous names like Tracy, for example, if a woman calls you and claims to be Tracy, but you know Tracy is a male, that sets off alarms. So it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, for example, when whenever I do vishing attacks, I tend to try to scope out the organization and look for help desk phone numbers, joint phone lines, meaning uh, it would be a hotline. Like, for example, when I was competing at the DerbyCon Social Engineering Capture the Flag last year, I found my target company's Office 365 email migration issue hotline number. And that's the number I spoofed to call everybody. But if I can't find something like that, I tend to use fax machines. That way, if someone calls it back, I don't have to worry about someone picking up on the other end and saying, I didn't call you. Oh, interesting. There's a lot of moving parts to doing it. So, Joe, what do you think about what Mr. Gray had to say there? I like a lot of things that Mr. Gray had to say. 
the first point that stands out, and obviously, is I'm operating under the authority of, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't know. That's got to be a very powerful thing. You know, yeah. somebody somebody calls me and says I'm operating under the authority of President Daniels at Johns Hopkins <laughs> University. Right, right. Right. They're going to immediately have my attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the boss. Exactly. Or if they're calling from the office of someone I know, like, say, the CISO, yeah, they're going to immediately have my attention. I, I really like his trick for when he's spoofing phone numbers inside of a company to spoof a fax machine mm-hmm. if he doesn't have a particular number because when somebody calls it back, they don't get someone answering to blow his cover. Right. But still might not add up, but it's not going to immediately be destructive to his task. Right. It's not a negative. He spent a lot of time talking about car dealerships. <laughs> I hate car dealerships, Dave. <laughs> but I really get disgusted when I detect that someone is trying to manipulate me. Yeah. And it just gets oh, my absolutely. Up. I'm in the early stages of car shopping and it's just miserable because you get excited about, you know, the, the possibility of a new car. Right. But then you're struck with the reality that you're going to have to go through this process. Yeah. Just no fun. And it's always the same, particularly if you're buying a new car. It's always the runaround and, mm-hmm. you know, wait here while I go talk to my manager. Yep. Yep. There's no manager. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, uh, thanks to uh, Joe Gray. His uh, blog is Advanced Persistent Security. He also has a podcast there. We appreciate him taking the time for us. And, of course, thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks to our sponsors at Know Before. They are the social engineering experts and the pioneers of new school security awareness training. Be sure to take advantage of their free phishing test, which you can order. Order up at knowbefore.com slash fish test. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 